Well, good morning. Welcome to our online uh, service this uh, beautiful winter's morning. We come to chapter 20 and to the final section of John's Gospel. John, at the end of chapter 20, states his purpose in writing the Gospel. It's a verse that we've visited time and again throughout our study. John writes, these are written, the Gospel is written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John has kept this purpose at the forefront of his gospel. Through the recording of those miracles selected, those signposts pointing us to who Jesus is, or the testimony of the people whose lives Jesus touched, or the teaching of Jesus himself throughout the gospel, and the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture, seen even in his death upon the cross, which we thought about last week. Now here in chapter 20, we come to John's record of the resurrection. And this is the crowning proof that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the God of resurrection power. The grave could not hold him. Death had no claim, no power over him. You know, certainly in the last two generations, never has there been such a focus on death as there has been uh, during this pandemic. Every day we are reminded of the daily death count from COVID, the death toll rising each day. I was reminded this week of a story about Michael Faraday, the great British physicist who lived in the 19th century. He lived at a time when there was also a great focus on death, at a time when it was fashionable to record the last words of the great and the good. Faraday on his deathbed was surrounded by an audience, and he was asked the question, what are your speculations for the future? Faraday was known for being a rather direct individual, and he answered curtly, speculations? I have none. I am resting on certainties. I am resting on certainties. How true when facing death, when facing the reality of the end of this life and what lies beyond, that speculations are of no use to anyone. You can only face death resting on certainties. And it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ alone that provides that certainty. The truth of the resurrection has been described as the heart of the Christian faith. Just as the heart pumps life-giving blood to every area of our bodies, so too the truth of resurrection gives life to every aspect of the Christian faith. Without it, the Christian faith crumbles. Listen to the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. He writes, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If Christ is not risen, then the claims of Jesus Christ cannot be trusted. He cannot be God. If Christ is not risen, his death achieved nothing, and ultimately we have no hope. 
The physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the keystone upon which the entire fabric of the Christian faith rests. And so we come to John's record of the resurrection this morning, and he presents with absolute certainty the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me quote J.C. Ryle. I I find myself quoting Ryle all the time these days, but J.C. Ryle wrote this. He says, It is not so certain that Julius Caesar lived as it is Christ rose again. Indeed, the evidence of Scripture is absolutely overwhelming. Evidence that includes multiple eyewitness accounts and encounters with the risen Christ. Different groups of different sizes who saw Jesus Christ. The Christian hope is not based on speculation. It is based on the certainty of Christ's resurrection. So let's look at our passage. John, of course, himself was an eyewitness of these events. I want to divide the passage into two sections. Verses 1 to 10, I want to think about the evidence for the resurrection from John's narrative. And then from verses 11 to 18, I want to think about the reality of the resurrection. And we're going to think about the encounter of Mary Magdalene with the risen Christ. So let's think about the evidence. The first point I want to make is this. That John's record carries the hallmarks of historical authenticity. Let me explain what I mean by that. I think it was Oliver Cromwell, the Lord Protector of England, who asked for his portrait to be painted warts and all. Uh, Paint what you see, he said to the artist. Uh, He wanted um, the reality of his image to be captured, even the warts. And he wanted an accurate record of his appearance. Now John's record of the resurrection is exactly that. It is a warts and all record. John paints exactly what he sees. And it is precisely this that stamps it with authority. Now you would have noticed from the reading that John's record focuses on the testimony of a woman, Mary Magdalene. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Verses 11 to 18, John focuses on Mary's encounter with the risen Christ. Now indeed, in all the gospel accounts of Christ's resurrection, it is the testimony, the witness of women, that is the primary testimony. Now in first century Jewish culture, the testimony of women wasn't considered to be either reliable or credible. It would have been dismissed. So if you were fabricating a story about the resurrection, then you certainly wouldn't base it on the testimony of women. This is a warts and all record. John is telling it just as it happened, and it is a mark of historical authenticity. The second point is this, and this is a a really important point to remember. Mary Magdalene and the disciples were not expecting a resurrection that morning. They were expecting to find a corpse. The women had come with their spices prepared. Uh, They were expecting to to deal with the body of the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 2. Mary ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's how John refers to himself. Mary said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb 
and we do not know where they have laid him. It's clear from this verse that resurrection is not in Mary's thinking. Her first thought is that the body has been taken. Now she still thinks this as you go down the passage in verse 13 when she speaks to the angels and in verse 15 even when she's speaking to the risen Christ himself. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. Now the disciples also were not expecting a resurrection. This means that they were the first skeptics of the truth of resurrection. Just think about that for a moment. They had to be convinced for themselves. They didn't believe the testimony of the women at first. We know that from the other gospel records. Now these were not simple, gullible men. They had to be fully convinced and so they examined the evidence for themselves. Remember that these men, the apostles, they would go on to publicly preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It would be the basis of their teaching. They would go on to suffer persecution, imprisonment, and even martyrdom, all for the risen Christ. Would they have done so had they not been absolutely certain that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead? Which brings me to my third point. They were convinced by the evidence. After Mary made her announcement in verse 3, Peter and John ran to the tomb to see for themselves. John got there first and he saw the linen cloths that had bound the body of Jesus. Let's pick up the story in verse 5. And stooping to look in, John saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. Here we have the evidence of the linen cloths lying by themselves. The head cloth folded up neatly and also in a place by itself. The Lord's body had not been stolen. Grave robbers do not take the time to unwrap the, the, the linen cloths and then fold them up nice and neatly. Nor had the disciples stolen the body. Remember, the tomb was like Fort Knox. A huge stone sealed its entrance. There was only one way in and out. A Roman guard placed outside that would have to be overcome. Verse 8, John saw and believed. Luke tells us in his gospel that Peter went home marveling. They knew that something miraculous had taken place here. The evidence confirmed it. Now my final point on this first section, look at verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. The resurrection was a fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. Phil read at the beginning of our service from Psalm 16. When you go over to Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching in the city of Jerusalem and he quotes this psalm. And as he quotes it, he states that David here in Psalm 16 was actually speaking about Christ 
and his resurrection. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. This is the crowning proof that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Now remember this, if the Jewish or Roman authorities had wanted to kill Christianity stone dead in its tracks, all they had to do was to produce the body of Jesus Christ. And if he had, hadn't been risen from the dead, that was something that should have been easily within their gift. Now quickly, let's look at the second section, verses 11 to 18. And I want to think here about the reality of the resurrection. We're going to focus on Mary Magdalene's encounter with the risen Christ. Now, Peter and John, typical men, it would appear as though they ran on ahead of Mary and got to the tomb and then left without waiting for her. And so Mary arrives at the tomb in verse 11 and she stands outside weeping. I just want you to think about the courage of Mary and indeed the other woman. They were last at the cross of Jesus and they were first at his tomb. And despite the danger of being associated with Jesus Christ at this time, and despite the danger of being a group of women alone out on the streets of the city at festival time when the city was, was busy with visitors, here is Mary while it is still dark and she is making her way to the tomb. These women had an appreciation and love for the Lord Jesus that surpassed even that of the disciples. And it is to these women that Jesus appears first. Verses 12 and 13, Mary sees two angels sitting inside the tomb. Why are you weeping, they ask. They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. See, Mary here is still not thinking about resurrection. She thinks the body of the Lord has been taken. Now remember, her faith had been shaken. Her hopes crushed. She thought her Lord was dead. Now her concern was misplaced. She was worried about something that had never happened. No one had taken the body of Jesus. So too the women that that came to the tomb, carrying their spices, their concern, who will roll away the stone for us? It was needless worry. God had it covered. God was in control. Maybe you can relate to Mary Magdalene. Maybe as you sit in your home this morning, your faith too has been shaken. Your hopes crushed. Perhaps you're struggling like many of us, living in fear and in anxiety, in isolation through this ongoing, never-ending pandemic. Perhaps worrying about things that might never happen. Remember, God is in control. Now, in her despair, What does Mary Magdalene do? Well, she goes to find Jesus. 
Now at this point she believed him to be dead, but perhaps like a relative, a grieving relative visiting a grave out of intense love, she just wanted to be where he was. We too need to look to Jesus through these difficult days, because we're going to discover here that Jesus reveals himself to those who love him and to those who look for him. Look at verse 14. Now things suddenly change for Mary. The risen Christ appears to her. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. And I will take him away. At first, Mary didn't recognize Jesus. And in a sense, I can understand that, that it is, that it would be only natural. She is not expecting to see Jesus. She is in distress. She is weeping. But perhaps there is also a supernatural aspect to it, like, like those two on the road to Emmaus. Her eyes perhaps were kept from recognizing him. I don't know. But Mark's gospel tells us that this is the first appearance of Jesus after the resurrection. And he appears to Mary Magdalene. Why her? Why not Mary his mother? Why not Mary of Bethany? Why not the disciples? Well, Mary Magdalene had an interesting backstory. And you can read about it in Luke chapter 8. We learn from there that she must have been a woman of substance. That Mary, along with some other women, ministered to the Lord Jesus out of her own financial resources. She was utterly devoted to Jesus. But she also had a dark past. She had been held in deep bondage. At one point, possessed by demons. Both Luke and Mark tell us that Jesus had cast out of her seven demons. So now we begin to understand her love for Jesus, her devotion to him. Jesus had transformed her life, delivered her, and brought her peace. And I suppose Mary Magdalene is the quintessential illustration of the power of Jesus the power of the gospel to transform people's lives, to deliver them from the deep bondage of sin and to bring them peace and to give them life. And it brings us back to John's purpose in writing this gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. Mary thought Jesus was the gardener. And you know, in a big picture sense, she was right. Jesus had come as a gardener. He had come to the ruined garden of his creation. Ruined by sin. And he had come to transform it, to restore it through his death and his resurrection. Jesus came to transform our ruined, sinful lives. Now verse 16, Jesus speaks one word. 
and it changes everything for Mary. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus calls her by name. And she recognizes him, Mary. You remember the words of Jesus back in chapter 10? There Jesus presents himself as the good shepherd. He calls his sheep by name. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Christian, if your faith has been shaken, if you're struggling with doubt, with anxiety, remember that Jesus Christ knows your deepest fears. He knows your deepest needs. He knows you by name. And it's this truth that makes the difference for Mary. I wonder if you have ever heard Jesus call your name. Maybe the risen Christ is calling you today. Calling you to believe in him. To put your faith in him. For you to know the blessings of eternal life. To rest in the hope of his resurrection and in the Christian faith. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Mary, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my, but go to my brothers, go to the disciples and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. What is Jesus saying here to Mary? Saying, Mary, don't hold on to me. Things are going to change. You're going to know me in a different way, a more intimate way. Not by sight and by physical presence, but by faith. You're going to live by faith. You see, I'm going. And I'm going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. These words of Jesus are so encouraging for us this morning. Because this is what Jesus does for those who believe in him. He brings his people with him into the presence of God. And he brings them into the very family of God. And he restores them into relationship with him. And through Jesus Christ, his father is our father. And his God is our God. And he brings us into an unbreakable relationship with God And his resurrection is the guarantee that makes it possible. And so as we close this morning, is your life built on speculations? Or is it built on the certainty of faith in the risen Christ? Will you face death resting on speculations or resting on the certainty of the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is the crowning proof of who he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. 
It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is the guarantee that he can forgive my sins and reconcile me to God. And it is the the resurrection of Jesus Christ that guarantees that after this life is over, he will take me home to be forever with himself in the presence of God. May God bless his word. Shall we just pray? Father God, we just want to thank you for the certainty of Christ's resurrection. We want to thank you for the risen Christ this morning. Thank you for your word and for reminding us of this truth and for all that it means. Thank you for the hope that it secures. We worship you this morning as the God of the living, the sovereign, almighty God. May you speak into our lives in these difficult days. May you strengthen the faith of your people. May you draw us ever closer to you. And may you help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We pray that you would transform lives. Pray that you would Call people into your kingdom. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. And I do trust that God's word will be a blessing to you today.